This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Heart for Lebanon. God is using Heart for Lebanon to bring practical assistance and the gospel to the stricken refugee families in Lebanon. For a gift of $116, you can give a child and his family survival essentials for four months and the hope of Jesus Christ, which lasts forever. Call now, 888-247-5499, 888-247-5499, or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Hello, everybody. It is so strange to look out across what is going on in this country and then watch what the White House does. It's almost as if they came into office with a plan Designed to execute no matter what is actually happening on the ground. At least that's how it looks. It feels a little bit like the Obama administration. They want to build back better. That's what the Biden administration wants to do, except nothing they propose is ever better. It's always worse. We have all of these problems in our country, inflation and a supply chain crisis and an open border and more people coming up from Central and South America to invade our country. I'm not trying to be mean to people saying they're here for nefarious purposes, but they're lawbreakers. And what does Biden care? And now there are reports out there that Kamala is bitter because she's been put in charge of the border, not that she's doing anything about it. And she feels marginalized. I really don't care. You know, we have a country to save. We have a country that's disintegrating and we have a whole host of people inside this country who are facilitating it on purpose. We have a five alarm fire, as far as I see it, concerning the United States of America. And we are watching these people day by day by day insult us and make fun of us and make fun of the problems, the legitimate problems we have in this country and tyrannize us and go against the rule of law and go against the Constitution. I'm just so weary of it. I cannot figure out for the life of me why it is most Americans are putting up with this other than the fact that you have to see this through spiritual eyes at a certain juncture and say the Lord is judging us, which I do believe he is. Why do I say this? Well, here's a perfect example of the tone deafness, but I think it's deliberate tone deafness about what's going on versus what they want to do in this White House. This is via The Daily Wire. And they point this out as inflation is continuing to rise and supply chains are breaking down. The Biden administration on Friday unveiled its first ever national gender strategy because that's the real problem in this country. We have women who are being oppressed and they must have abortion rights enshrined in the federal government and in federal law for the rest of time, because otherwise we're just not going to be able to murder our babies with impunity. And we can't have that. Think how evil you have to be to think that way. At any rate, this whole thing is aimed at rectifying supposed gender inequality in the U.S. and abroad. First of all, abroad is not our problem. We do not run the world. These people are president and vice president of the United States. I understand we have foreign policies here and there on everything, and I get that. I'm not saying we should be completely disconnected from the world. Clearly, we're not disconnected from the world. But why is gender inequality the focus of this administration? President Biden and I released the first ever national gender strategy. This is a tweet from Kamala Harris. This is our vision For the future of our nation, one that is bold in strategy and one that has this moment calls that this moment calls for. 
This moment doesn't call for it. How about the border, Kamala? That's what you're in charge of. Notably, they know, they say that the plan calls for cemented abortion rights and a push for more women in the U.S. military, as well as closing the gender wage gap, although there's no evidence that the gap is caused by sexism. It, I, I'm not even going to go into it. If you feel like being more annoyed and or more bored, you can definitely go over to the fact sheet on the national strategy on gender equity and equality. I'm so over it. I'm so bored. Women in the United States of America are some of the most blessed women on planet Earth because of the freedoms and the liberties that we have been afforded and the ability to vote and the ability to go to college and the ability to have the kind of job you want to have. Where are women suffering? You know, it seems to me wherever women are suffering in the United States, there has to be some level of personal responsibility in many cases that we have to take into account. For example, if you are a single mother, you have multiple children from different baby daddies, at what point is that my fault? That's not my fault, and I'm not trying to be unkind, but if you have multiple baby daddies and you're struggling because you can't afford to feed them and you have the baby daddies refusing to pay child support, that would create a very difficult circumstance for you and for your children, but that's a personal responsibility matter in most cases, yes? And we're not allowed to say that because that's just mean. Well, I think we need to get over the whole problem that we have with not wanting to seem mean at every juncture because these people just take political advantage of it. It's just, it's astonishing. We need more women equality. How are women not equal to men? And by the way, I want to talk about this thing in the military. This is one of the things I want to focus on because this really bugs me. I have noticed over the course of the last, I don't know how many years, that conservative men in office oftentimes are so scared of offending women. And I'm not trying to impugn them because they're way better than the alternative liberal men. But they don't want to offend women at any turn. So they tiptoe around any issue that they think might potentially offend a woman somewhere. And I see this not only in politics, I see this in the church as well. I see these battles that go on online where Christian men are just not wanting to say the truth because some woman might gather together her woman friends and do a tweet storm on him or write obnoxious blog posts and try to destroy him as a sexist. This has to end, and I'm going to say this, because I think we are losing our ability to really speak clearly on the issue of God creating the male and female and having different purposes and different roles in God's creation, and somebody needs to say it. And when you don't say it on the easy issues, then you get Rachel Levine as an assistant secretary in the Department of Health and Human Services. And the next thing you know, they're turning around and making this man an admiral. And then the next thing you have is Twitter putting a congressman in timeout for calling a man a man. That's where we are. I want to get into this story because I have some things to say about it. No doubt you've heard that this whole flap involving Congressman Jim Banks referring to Rachel Levine, which is a woman's name, as a man, got him put in Twitter timeout. And he did a little diatribe. And I don't blame him for feeling this way that we can't allow big tech to prevent us from telling the truth. I want to play for you first a couple of cuts here from good old Jim Acosta and Brian Stelter over at CNN, because this kind of says it all. Listen to this opening. A Republican congressman says Twitter is trying to censor and cancel him because they temporarily locked his account. 
and he's claiming he's being silenced while freely tweeting from his second personal account. Congressman Jim Banks writing, quote, Twitter has suspended my official account for posting a statement of fact. I won't back down. Twitter says it temporarily locked Congressman Jim Banks' account for violating its hateful conduct policy. It says it will unlock the account once the tweet in question is deleted. In the uh, tweet at the center of all of this, Congressman Banks refers to the Assistant Secretary of Health, Dr. Rachel Levine, a transgender woman, as a man. Uh, this is what Banks is ref refusing to back down from. And um, I want to bring back our chief media correspondent, Brian Stelter, to talk about this. Uh, Brian, uh, Congressman Banks uh, claiming he's being silenced on Twitter by tweeting. Um, it's almost <laughs> like, uh, yeah, it's almost like they, they want to be canceled, uh, some of these members right. of Congress. You like that take? You're going to call a man a man? Well, I guess you just must want to be canceled. There's no logic or rational thought going through the brains of this this man or the other man who's about to comment. Let's listen to Brian Stelter's retort to that ridiculous comment. This is cut to. I, I think you nailed it. You just revealed yeah. the name of the game. It's yeah. about creating this opportunity for a political stunt. Uh, Banks said in a statement, if you silence, if they silence me, they will silence you. We can't allow big tech to prevent us from telling the truth. So he portrays himself as a bold truth teller when the real truth is that he's transphobic. That's what he's revealing through this comment about Dr. Rachel Levine. He says he's been banned. He's only been temporarily locked. Twitter does this a lot to different users, including even members of Congress, uh, because he's in violation of Twitter's hateful conduct policy. By all means, people don't like the policy. Then let's debate it. Let's argue about it. But what he's revealing through his seemingly bold truth-telling tweet is just that he's engaging in transphobia. Right. Be a human being. People are people. I mean, why tweet stuff like that? That's the thing I don't, I don't understand. And you're a member of Congress. I mean, you shouldn't be doing that sort of thing. Yeah, you shouldn't be calling men men, Congressman Banks. Why in the world would you do that? That's hate speech. You're transphobic. And it's clearly a political stunt to object to Twitter silencing you. What are you supposed to say to these people? Well, I have some things to say. We'll take a quick break and then we'll come back here on Janet Meffer today. This is Janet Mefford for Bible League International. Authorities in China are making life difficult for Christians. It's against the law to share Christ with children under age 18. We cannot preach to children under 18. That is their practice and law. But when the parents bring kids to the church, when you can teach them English and then you can send the gift of gospel to them, it is a great joy. Believers are teaching English to young people using a Bible League program that uses God's Word as the source of the reading assignments. And many are coming to embrace Jesus as Lord and Savior and sharing Him with their families. Please join Bible League in sending God's Word to bible believers in China and around the world for only $5 per Bible. $50 sends 10, $500 sends 100. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD, or there's a Bible League banner to click at JanetMefford.com. Thank you for your support. 
Over 169,000 babies saved and more than 51,000 commitments to Christ through the Ministry of Preborn as they celebrate 15 years of saving babies' lives. Here's Dan Steiner, president of Preborn. This is a reflection of God's heart as the father to the fatherless to be able to look across America and see this tragedy, this holocaust of abortion, and know that people like you are doing something about it. It's one thing to say that we're against abortion, but it's really another to take action. Will you join Preborn in providing hope, love, free ultrasounds, and the gospel in action across America? For $140, you can sponsor five ultrasounds and help to rescue five babies' lives. To donate, call now, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. Or there's a preborn banner to click at JanetMefford.com. All gifts are tax deductible. 855-402-BABY. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Are we fighting these gender wars correctly? This is the subject I'm tackling because I am watching everything that unfolds in the gender wars, or you want to say the sex wars, because I hate the word gender. It's it's not really the right term. This is what the leftists like to use, the term gender. And now they're able to manipulate it and, and morph everything. Now we have transgenders and we have asexuals and we have this and that. You know, I'm sick of it. I'm sick of it because what they do is every time they're able to move the goalposts a little bit, we lose reality and we lose common sense and we lose truth. Now, we have this story that I've been talking about, Congressman Jim Banks, who was put into temporary timeout on Twitter for calling Rachel Levine, this transgender assistant secretary at the Department of Health and Human Services, a man, which, by the way, he is. And there's not anything the left can do about it, no matter how many surgeries you put the guy through. He's never going to be a woman. And women are not supposed to feel angry about this at all. But there's more to it. I'm going back to the news statement put out by HHS, and it was announcing this appointment of the nation's first openly transgender four-star officer uh, getting this wonderful honor, this wonderful honor. Admiral Rachel Levine, who serves as the HHS Assistant Secretary for Health and head of the U.S. Public Health Service Commission Corps, was ceremonially sworn in as a four-star admiral. Okay, First of all, they're doing this not because this guy has any great credentials to receive this kind of an honor. They're doing it to shove the pie in your face. They're doing it to further degrade the honor of the U.S. military. And anybody who has been paying attention to this issue for any number of years can see this for exactly what it is. They go on to say Admiral Levine now serves as the highest ranking official in the USPHS Commission Corps and its first ever female four star admiral. He's a dude. He's a man. He's male. He's a man. He's a man. He's a man. He's a man. And he's not a good looking fake woman either. And everybody knows it. You take one look at this man and I do feel sorry for him on some level because he is very confused and he needs mental help. He doesn't need to be honored for his gender confusion or his sex confusion or whatever you want to call it. Admiral Levine will lead 6,000 public health service officers who are dedicated to serving our nation's most underserved and vulnerable populations. And here's the key. Today's historic announcement, this was from a few days ago, builds on the accomplishments of LGBTQ plus history month. Oh, yes. What a wonderful designation to be called the first female, the (laughs) the first ever female four star admiral when everybody knows it's a dude. All right. Now, 
Let's go back to Congressman Banks, because this is where I'm going with this. Red State has an article on this whole issue and how the congressman got in time out for calling a four-star admiral a man who actually happens to be a man. His initial statement, I thought, was perfectly legit. He said the title of the first female four-star officer gets taken by a man. So the way he's framing it, he got in trouble for saying a man. The way he's framing it is by earning, well, being given this designation, he hurt a woman. Okay, now I'm going to get into this in a little bit more detail uh, on that particular point. But I want to go to this article and one of the quotes that was put in uh, into the article concerning Congressman Jim Banks opinion on this whole issue. And it isn't just about the fact that he's annoyed, rightly so, that Levine is being called a woman when, in fact, Levine is a man. There's also another problem here. What is the problem here? Another post that he put up. Let me read it to you. Calling someone that was born and lived as a man for 54 years, the first female four-star officer is an insult to every little girl who dreams of breaking glass ceilings one day. Now you listen to that and initially you might say, yeah, that's not fair. He's getting a position that should have been given to an actual female. But here's the problem that I see with this. We're seeding ground when we talk like that, because I can tell you, having been a little girl at one time and having been around tons of little girls when I was little and my entire life, I can tell you definitively that if you have a little girl who has been unpropagandized by these activists, there is no little girl in America, and I would put some money on this if I were a betting woman, there's no little girl in America who dreams of being a four-star admiral one day and breaking glass ceilings. That is ridiculous. Little girls who are not propagandized and brainwashed by leftist activists dream of being princesses. They dream of being queens. They dream of being ballerinas. They dream of being mommies one day. That's the natural thing that little girls dream about. They don't worry about feminist goals when they're four and five. They're worried about being pretty one day. And doing something very feminine. That's what's normal. That's what's normal for little girls. But that's not what these gender sexuality activists want you to believe. They want you to believe that everything has to be about equality. So why in the world do we take this tack? It's not that women are not harmed by the transgender fable. Because they are. If you have girls who are in high school sports and dudes are coming in and competing under faux femininity and they're crushing the girls because they're bigger and stronger and the girls don't stand a chance of winning those races because a guy is there, then that does hurt women. But listen, when we take the angle that we're merely against this because some woman should have gotten the job, now what we're doing is we're buying into the feminism that has made a mess of the military. And here's what I mean by that. What is wrong with saying that, in fact, if you have the top leadership brass in the military, it ought to be male? I am very old school on this. I don't impugn any woman who gets some kind of a job working in the military, but I'm adamantly against this idea that women need to be on the front lines in combat, which is ridiculous, and women need to be equal on the battlefield. Why don't you just advertise we want to lose the war? I'm not saying specific women are not stronger than specific men, but we know that they have to alter the test for women to even be able to pass some of these military tests. It's wrong. It's wrong. 
Nobody is saying that anymore because nobody wants to offend the feminists. But this is how we got to the point where these leftists have started to say, we're going to draft your little girls. And what ground we have ceded has made us unable to come back and go, no, that's just wrong. But we're losing the argument because we've we've ceded territory to these people every single step of the way. You know, a woman should be able to be an admiral in the military. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? Women should not be admirals in the military. That is my position. I don't think it's right. And it's not because women aren't smart and talented. And I'm not, again, I'm not insulting anybody who serves in the military who's female. I'm not insulting you. But we are so far gone on the feminist thing that we are not even speaking logic here anymore. Little girls do not dream of breaking glass ceilings in the military. They just don't. Maybe when they're 25 and they've been fully indoctrinated in feminism, they decide that this is perhaps a great route for them to go. Fine. You're, you're in a free country. You can feel the way you feel. But I feel the way I feel. And I'm tired of watching men say things like this with good intentions. And I'm not trying to say mean things about Congressman Banks because I appreciate that he's standing up on the issue that Levine is a man. But don't cede territory to these people anymore. That's how we got to the point of having to fight the battle over our little girls having to register for the draft. Because this is what the left has been after all along. And it's always framed, well, you know, Israel does this and, you know, women can do what men can do and da, 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 da. Right. These are the same people who've made the military woke as China is testing these stunning weapons that can, you know, kill us all. And, and the military's reaction is, oh, we're stunned. Yeah, I bet you're stunned. Get your face out of the Robin D'Angelo book of the month and do your job as the military leaders that you were put into place to, to be. We have a disintegrating country, folks. We cannot sugarcoat this. And it grieves me to see Congressman Banks, who I'm sure does a fantastic job. I'm not trying to insult him because I'm grateful that he is doing what he's doing. And one remark does not, you know, set him back. I'm just saying that particular remark was unfortunate. We have a disintegrating country. It's being taken away from us from within. It's being threatened from without. And we're worried about losing our Twitter accounts. Think about that for a moment. Who cares about your Twitter account. I think it's completely unfair. And I think it's a violation of the laws that we have on monopoly and the history that we have on stopping monopolies in this nation and antitrust laws. I think there are all kinds of problems with that concerning big tech and the way that they censor conservatives and kick Trump off social media, but allow the Ayatollah to say whatever he wants or the head of the Taliban to say whatever he wants. It is an outrage. But if you lose your social media, so what? You should be in the real world fighting these battles. Who cares on some level if you're losing your Twitter account or you're getting put in timeout? I I am to the point where I'm tired of hearing about it because the Republicans who are on Capitol Hill, who have the ability to do something about big tech, have done nothing except have shows on TV where they yell about big tech and bring Zuckerberg and Dorsey forward and put on a big show of, oh, we're so outraged and this can't stand. And they're all taking money from big tech and nothing ever happens. And we're worried about it. That's what we're focused on. You know why? Because that's the easy fight. The easy fight is to say, they put me in timeout on Twitter. They put me in timeout on Facebook. Why are you there? They're taking your data. You're being there. Make sure that these people can make more money and oppress more people. Why are you putting up with it? 
That's what I don't understand. You're worried about that. Why don't you take that energy and do something that would help to save this country? Why don't you do something to fight on these huge issues that are keeping the rest of us up at night? Because we're worried about our kids and we're worried about our grandkids. I just think the focus from the the very politicians who should be fighting for us are these littler issues that ultimately are just words. Levine is a man, but that's not the biggest outrage here. Being a man and being named a four-star admiral actually is the least offensive part of this because at least he's a man. The problem is he's mentally ill and he needs help and he's not qualified to be an admiral. But will we get this war on gender right? Who knows? This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Heart for Lebanon. God is using Heart for Lebanon to bring practical assistance and the gospel to the stricken refugee families in Lebanon. For a gift of $116, you can give a child and his family survival essentials for four months and the hope of Jesus Christ, which lasts forever. Call now, 888-247-5499, 888-247-5499, or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. Welcome back. On Friday, President Biden, or as Reuters calls him, devout Roman Catholic Joe Biden, will meet with Pope Francis in the Vatican. The Washington Examiner reports that social justice is undoubtedly going to be a topic of discussion. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki said the two will discuss working together on efforts grounded in respect for fundamental human dignity, including ending the COVID-19 pandemic, tackling the climate crisis, and caring for the poor. Well, will the fundamental human dignity of the unborn be part of the discussion? Even as conservative Catholic bishops in America have said pro-abortion Biden should be banned from receiving communion, the Pope has said bishops should use compassion and tenderness with Catholic politicians who support abortion rights. This is the same Pope who has mandated a COVID green pass in order to enter the Vatican at a time when vaccine mandates are threatening religious freedom and freedom in general. Well, as my next guest rightly notes, this is the perfect example of the new Christian left movement. Public figures who say they're about fundamental human dignity, but only if that's defined around their pet leftist causes. And it comes from a worldview that is diametrically opposed to the biblical one. So we're going to get some thoughts on this now from Dr. Jeff Myers, president of Summit Ministries and author of several great books, including Understanding the Faith and Understanding the Times. Jeff, it is wonderful to have you here. How are you doing today? Thank you, Janet. I'm doing very well. I really enjoy your show, and I'm looking forward to our conversation. I am, too. Well, you're very kind, and it's always great to have you here. What are your thoughts on this meeting between Joe Biden and Pope Francis? This could be an opportunity to really talk about some of the issues that are affecting Christians and and people worldwide who are concerned about religious freedom. Doesn't seem like it's going to go beyond social justice, but what are your thoughts on it? If I could put together a wish list, Janet, of... I of what I think the president should talk about. Item number one for me is limiting abortion. And I know that's, that's a tension because Joe Biden goes to mass every week or claims that he does. And at the same time, he has done everything he can to, to promote abortion on demand throughout federal policy. Yep. 
So I, I would address that first because it's hard to imagine that you can have a belief in fundamental human dignity if you can't have a basic respect for human life. And the second thing I would put on the agenda is economic growth. You know, uh, Pope Francis comes from Argentina. You absolutely do not want Argentina's economic system to be spreading to right. any place else in the world. Right. That's what social justice looks like. It is a disaster. Virtually 40% of people in that country live below the poverty line, and they have 100% plus inflation every year. Mm. That's what socialist policies get you if that's what they mean by social justice. I'm out. Yeah, for sure. Well, let's talk about the abortion issue, because more and more and more, the Biden administration is pushing as far left as it can possibly go on abortion. Now they've come out with this statement on gender equity and they want to enshrine abortion as you know a permanent right for women. It's just ghoulish when you consider what happens during abortion. You're not only dismantling a human life, but women are harmed by this as well. And yet you have the Pope being to the left, it would seem, of even some U.S. Catholic bishops who are saying, listen, If this guy who claims to be a devout Roman Catholic is this pro-abortion, he shouldn't be taking communion in the Catholic Church. And the Pope is basically, at least from some of these reports, saying, eh, go easy on him. You know, we need to be loving with the love of Christ. I mean, how are we supposed to look at this? I know as evangelicals, we're not under the Pope, but how do you view this just through a biblical lens? I'm trying to understand, Gianna, a little bit about Catholic theology and and what the Eucharist actually means. And my understanding is in the Catholic Church that the Eucharist is a a mystical process by which the the wafer and the wine become the body and blood of Christ. So if you are saying you're taking it, what you're saying is I am participating in the body of Christ at this moment. So to say that, but to, uh, to, to have a fundamental disbelief in some of the key teachings of the Church is a complete contradiction. Yeah. I'm not sure. I, again, I, I, I don't know how that works. I understand that there would be people coming to Church, and, and they have sin in their lives, and they want to confess that sin. But to come every single week within your heart, a commitment to a policy that destroys innocent human life through abortion— to me, that's a different issue. So I, I have some sympathy for those bishops who are uneasy with the idea of giving politicians who hold that viewpoint communion. Well, right. And it's interesting how we keep hearing the same line that Biden's personal views don't get imposed upon his political responsibilities. I mean, they've been using that excuse forever. They're very willing on the left to speak out on any issue that they find to be offensive from race to, you know, gender ideology. They're they're very willing to go there, but they're not willing to go there on abortion. And I'm wondering at what point the American people say we're sick and tired of hearing that you're devout when you're in favor and promoting the destruction of human life. Is there going to be a point at which he's just going to have to pick a side and quit trying to split the difference there? Well, Democratic politicians in particular and some Republican politicians have gotten away with that line for a very long time. If you were right out, if you were to write out the sentence, I personally believe that abortion is wrong, but I won't impose my views uh, in in terms of law. And you took out the word abortion and put in slavery, for example, mm. or any other big issue. What kind of a statement would you be making? It's very difficult for me to imagine a credible person in public office who knowingly ha- has something where they're what they personally believe and what they're willing to commit to in terms of law 
are at odds with one another. Yeah, that's a really good point. So how do you see Joe Biden and the Pope in this meeting coming up at the end of the week in the context of the new Christian left movement? And maybe even give us a definition, if you would, of what you think that movement really is. Sure. Well, the Christian left would be a movement that is primarily committed to the idea that Jesus is not, has not appeared as our Savior, as the resurrected Christ, that Jesus is an example of what a Christ consciousness is. In other words, there's a universal Christ, and the universal Christ is a revolutionary whose primary interest is in redistributing wealth. That's sort of the... the, um, spiritual take on social justice. Now, Janet, you know, I came out of the academic world. I was a professor for 14 years. What people mean in the academy by social justice is very clear. They mean the redistribution of wealth and every other societal good. So if one person is more intelligent than someone else, you have to stop educating them so that everybody else can catch up. If one person has more money, you have to take it away and redistribute it. The underlying assumption of that worldview is that there's only so much to go around. In other words, only the material world exists. Yeah. That it, so there's only, it's like a pie. There are only so many pieces that you can cut out of the pie. A biblical worldview says, no, that's not true. Because we have minds, because we have spirits, We can have ideas, we can have inspiration, we can use information to grow the total amount of wealth. It's more of an abundance mindset. So there's a very big difference here, and I think Pope Francis has departed pretty significantly from previous popes in insisting that, no, only the material world exists and the the redistributing of material wealth is going to be our primary focus. I have a feeling that's where this meeting is going. And that concerns me. Well, when you talk about the issue of the caring for the poor that was cited in the White House press secretary statement, they mean something specific. We have always talked as Christians about caring for the poor. This is something that's always been very significant for Christians to do. And Christians are very, very generous in helping and caring for the poor. That seems to take on a different definition if they're using the definition that you've just described, though. Of course, yes. Uh, there, are two, there are two sides to this. Number one as, is, as you mentioned, Christian compassion, that the total amount of resources and time that Christians in the United States give to helping others is probably in the order of somewhere between one and a half to three trillion dollars a year. Wow. It's actually a substantial part of the United States economy that comes through the generosity of individual people. But the other side of it is a Christian worldview says if you uh, work hard, take advantage of economic opportunities, get to the point where you're not a drain on the public, but you actually become a blessing. I want that homeless person to be able to get a home, start a business, and then employ others. I don't want them to just have another meal for another day. It's a very, very different mindset when someone starts with the idea that there's only so much to go around. You're right. Dr. Jeff Myers with us, president of Summit Ministries. We're going to take a break. We'll come back talking about the meeting between President Biden and Pope Francis. A social justice meeting? Probably so. We'll come back talking about it right after this.
The U.N. has called what's happening in Lebanon the worst humanitarian crisis since World War II. COVID-19, political upheaval, a crumbling economy, and two million refugees, children and their families, living in poverty and despair. But in the middle of it all, God is at work. More Muslim-cultured people than ever before are putting their faith and trust in Jesus. And through your generous support, Heart for Lebanon is being used to bring these hurting people from despair to hope. A single gift of $116 helps bring a child and their family survival essentials and the hope of the gospel, which lasts forever. $348 cares for this family for an entire year. We have a goal to take over 50 families off a waiting list that desperately need our help. So we're hoping you'll be as generous as you can when you call 888-247-5499, 888-247-5499, or there's a Heart for Lebanon banner at JanetMefford.com. Thank you. Ask yourself, what do you pay for health care? Are you single? Do you pay more than $199 a month? Are you a couple? Do you pay more than $299 a month? Do you have a family? Do you pay more than $399 a month? Yes, you can serve the entire family with health care for only $399 a month with Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance. So your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals. Sign up at any time of the year. Pick your own doctor and hospital. Find out more at libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. That's libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. Or call now, 855-565-2561. That's 855-565-2561 or libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Well, allegedly devout Roman Catholic Joe Biden, also pro-abortion Joe Biden, will be meeting on Friday with Pope Francis in the Vatican. And from what they are saying, this will be a wonderful social justice confab. Dr. Jeff Myers is with us, president of Summit Ministries, weighing in a little bit on how this all fits into the new Christian left movement. And you really were laying out some important points here, Jeff, when you were describing the view of Jesus that comes from the Christian left. It's not the biblical Jesus. He's not a savior so much as he is an example example of Christ consciousness. He's a revolutionary. He's all about redistributing wealth and being a social justice warrior. This is kind of smacking of the old liberation theology that came out of Catholicism. But this is very interesting because another important issue on the table, and I know you've talked about this too, Jeff, is this issue of vaccine mandates. I had mentioned that you have to have this COVID green pass now to enter the Vatican. And it's, it's a time that's very funny because whether or not you're vaccinated or unvaccinated, it would seem any American would see plainly we can't have mandates where you have thousands of people losing their jobs, which is even happening in the United States. How important is it from a biblical perspective to speak up on the issue of religious freedom and freedom of conscience on this issue? I think it's it's very important, Janet, to speak up on this. It's very difficult. I understand that the issue of vaccinations is politically fraught and that a lot of people are at odds with even their friends and co-workers over this issue. But there are a small number of people who in the United States of America believe that for religious reasons that they should not receive the COVID shot. And there is no evidence that those people are harming anyone else. There is no evidence that they are causing anybody else to get COVID. 
it's, it's, that is not the issue. The issue has become whether the government is going to stay in control or whether or not it's going to provide freedom. Uh, never forget that the reason our founders put the Bill of Rights in the United States Constitution is not to protect people from one another, but to protect people from the government. Right. So freedom of religion is the first freedom the founders understood and sociologists today have been able to clearly demonstrate that nations that protect religious freedom end up having more economic and political freedom, especially for the vulnerable, for women and children. But nations that do not protect religious freedom end up squelching all freedoms. That's what our founders thought. And I think it's a very important thing to consider. Yes. And when you raise that issue, that ties into one of the other issues that you had hoped and stated that you'd hope they would discuss at this summit, which was economic growth. Now, we know the background of Pope Francis on this regard. It's a time, though, where our economy is in bad shape and Joe Biden doesn't seem to be that concerned with it. It's all about build back better. But how do those two things go together when you're talking about economic growth and also looking at the issue of all these people being laid off and all these people? are being uh, paid unemployment when they should be working. It it just seems a little scary to a lot of Americans to watch all of this go on, not to mention the supply chain crisis and the boats that are just unable to go and dock and get unloaded as Christmas is coming up. Well, there's so many issues at stake here. But one one thing that Joe Biden firmly believes is that government money can be used to create economic growth. (laughs) This goes all the way back to John Maynard Keynes. So it's called a Keynesian view. A lot of economists hold this view, and it it has at various points in time, for example, in the immediate aftermath of World War II, it helped all of those manufacturing lines shift back over from war production to consumer production. It's never worked since that time, but Joe Biden, um, just through the coincidence of the program that he put in place when he was vice president to spend lots and lots of government money, he believes that's what made the economy recover. <laughs> and so if it worked once with $800 billion, then it will work now even better with $3 trillion. <sighs> that's his fundamental perspective. And I think it's fundamentally flawed from an economic viewpoint. The truth is, that if you, if you can get the government largely out of the way, people will figure out how to succeed on their own. Right. And that's what we need to have happen. But I, I think a controlled economy is very, very important to this president. Oh, yeah. Well, there was even a recent report from economists in San Francisco who said it is the economic policy, the Keynesian policy you've discussed uh, that Biden is implementing that is causing all this terrible inflation. When you go to the pumps and you see how high the price of gasoline is going, it's because he's decided to shut down certain pipelines, Keystone Pipeline, for example. If you go into the grocery store, you see empty shelves. You see the prices of all kinds of basic staples that you put in your card every week going through the roof. Th- that's not helping people. And, and when you talk about government money, that's not the government's money. That's our money. That's money we're paying and we're trillions in debt. I mean, this is basic, basic stuff that even people with a household budget can understand. Yeah, the, the, all of these kinds of decisions end up hurting the poor the most. That's the biggest tragedy in all of this. If you if you have a imagine you have a hundred dollars and then you a hundred dollar bill and you print another hundred dollar bill without increasing value, then each bill is only worth fifty dollars. Right. That's what inflation is. Americans can figure out that if you keep putting more and more money into the money supply without creating underlying economic growth, then it just devalues whatever they currently have. Right. So people's savings are now worth a lot less. 
their salary is worth a lot less because they have to pay a whole lot more money going to the grocery store. And you've seen that just within the last three or four weeks, significant increase in prices on key consumer goods. So I'm afraid that I'm afraid that the chickens are coming home to roost with this economic policy that most people in government, including most Republicans, have promoted for the last 50 or so years. It's so aggravating. I'm wondering, Jeff, just on a personal level, do you find it at all frustrating? I I can name significant evangelical names who were out there screaming and yelling about Donald Donald Trump for about everything that he did, while also claiming to be pro-life. I don't see the same level of screaming about Joe Biden that I saw from some of these people over Donald Trump. Does that seem frustrating at all to you, especially on the abortion issue? Because I don't see a lot of these guys going after Biden for being pro-abortion and wanting to basically cement abortion rights with this national gender strategy that the White House has just unveiled. Right, right. I think this is a key time for Christians to speak up. As Christians, we should be willing to speak up for what is true, no matter who is president. And so when you see a lot of leaders who um, don't do that, that's pretty tough. I have to reflect on that myself. You know, I'm trying to think through my own experience where there are times where I should have criticized President Donald Trump for something he did that I think was wrong Mm -hmm. and maybe didn't. We always have to examine our hearts and and stay focused on what is true. That, you know, truth is not just a mathematical formula or a logical proposition. It's it's Jesus. Right. If I really believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, then I will speak up. And so I'm I'm hoping that I can be one person who has integrity in that respect. Yeah. But I yeah. feel I feel like there are a whole lot of leaders who aren't demonstrating that right now. Well, and and the whole embrace, increasing embrace, I should say, of social justice within evangelicalism. How does that? alarm you in some way when you're looking at the biblical worldview and and in light of the new Christian left movement, there are a lot of Christians who are genuinely concerned that evangelicalism is moving too far to the left and we don't want to become the main line. I mean, how do you react to all of it? Well, I think if we were to really keep our focus on the poor and the vulnerable, we would want to have economic growth. What helps people come out of poverty? Economic growth. What helps decrease pollution? Economic growth. If you set up a system where you're trying to solve short-term problems through infusions of taxpayer dollars, and, and, and the consequence is that it slows economic growth, which, by the way, is exactly what happened in Argentina, uh, the Pope's home country. Right. That's exactly what they did. Um, I would hope that the, the Pope would say, listen, you're heading down the road in America where we headed down the road in Argentina 100 years ago, and it is going to end in disaster. You need to promote economic growth, keep government spending in check, have the same kind of kind of accountability at the government level that we expect of ourselves at the personal level. Yes, right, for sure. How would you say a biblical worldview ought to be informing us on how we deal with some of these important issues that we've touched on? Well, I think a biblical worldview speaks to every area of life. That's what I teach at Summit Ministries to the students who come study with us every summer in our summer programs. It's what we teach in all of our curriculum courses. And so what you believe about God will determine what you believe about what is real. What you believe about what is real will determine what you believe about what's right and wrong. What you believe about what's right and wrong will determine how you engage politically, what you think a good economic policy would be, how to establish good laws, and so forth. So (laughs) it seems to me that thinking Christianly about everything 
is at the heart of what makes um, a well-functioning, flourishing society. Amen. Well said. I couldn't agree more. And you can check out more at summit.org, the website for Summit Ministries, headed up by my guest, Dr. Jeff Myers, who is always a joy to have here. Jeff, thank you so much for what you do and for joining us today. It's always fun to talk to you. Thank you, Janet. Thank you for being here. God bless you. Thank you for joining us on Janet Meffer today. We appreciate you tuning in each and every day. Hope you'll do so next time. We'll see you then. God bless. This hour of Janet Meffer today is brought to you in part by Heart for Lebanon. Call 888-247-5499 to give desperate people help and the hope of the gospel. 888-247-5499.